Hello! Welcome back to my podcast and to a special episode in collaboration with my Towards Racial Justice class. And this class is a critical study on Canadian multiculturalism and anti-Black movements in Canada. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to kind of blend the two together and not only bring you the Black Sprout, but also it with a Women's and Gender Studies course content focus. And so in this episode, we will really be talking about multiculturalism and anti-Black racism in Canada, but sort of also what follows with that. We're going to be talking about the inequities um, and how multiculturalism reinforces them. And I want to end this with kind of what it's like living in a multicultural world as a Black woman and trying to navigate that. So without further ado, let's launch right into this. So... To understand multiculturalism, I think we really have to bring it right back to settler colonialism and kind of understand what we're talking about with that. It's actually more of a specific mode of racial capitalism, and it, it primarily focuses on the dispossession of indigeneity in a land, right? Because the goal is not only to come to the land and cultivate the land, but to stay on the land, hence the name settler. And then we have this idea, multiculturalism, and it's starting to emerge in, let's say, about the 70s to the 90s, and it's following the civil rights and anti-colonial movements, right? And so multiculturalism is kind of this call and this response for what has been deemed a racist world by settlers, and they understand that change must happen. And so the best way is to mix all these cultures, multiculturalism, multicultures, but when we look at Canada and we think about our identity with this multicultural, I mean, I think a best example of obviously our world is not multi, our society is not multicultural. First of all, our country has two national languages, right? English and French. So right there, right away, it shows that there's a hierarchy of value, that we value the language of English and French more than anything else um, with job applications, signage, all that different stuff. But I point this out to say, I point this out to say that as settlers on this land, why would Canada set the conditions to which languages should be spoken in Canada? As settlers, when indigeneity means that it predated settlers. And more importantly, settlers come from violence. The only way to be a settler is to remove the people that were on the land. And to remove the people on the land takes violence, right? And another aspect of this is forgetting I think that's so interesting about multiculturalism is this push and need to have our country relies on immigration, but focus on like good immigration, right? And we can even say those comments because we have people like Doug Ford, right, who would come out as a politician and say that immigration needs to happen and is important, but he's only accepting good immigration. What does that even mean? Historically, we can look at what it means to be a good immigrant, right? And so we have the head tax and we have um, the Indian Act and all these different policies that are emerging that are supposed to control, marginalize and racialize and which type of marginalized and racialized people can come to Canada. Another thing that multiculturalism does is sort of reinforce settler colonial lines and nationalist stories, right? And I'm saying this in the sense that for Canada to be a multicultural society, Canada must exist. And for Canada to exist, um, it's made up of rules and laws and memories and, I don't know, a collection and it's a, an identity is formed. And so often when we talk about Canadians, we're like, 
but what's our identity? And we might throw up Tim's <laughs> and coffee and maple syrup. Love all these food items. And we might throw out ideas of being nice and polite, which directly contrasts. And I'm speaking about the nice part, like maybe not the coffee and the tidbits, the donuts, but um, being nice directly contradicts Canada's history, right? Canada has a history of, of racism. Canada has a history of displacing indigeneity and indigenous people from Canada. And so the only way for Canada to make sense or be Canada, there can't be indigenous people. Why? Because that would be an active reminder of the violence that it takes to have Canada, to have any settler state, really. Another point to look at, too, is also who is allowed to tell the story? Now, the national story has power because people believe it. But who told people this story? And more importantly, why do we believe this story? Now, that's obviously fundamental and rooted in white supremacy, but then we have these policies and these things like multiculturalism. And multiculturalism really reinforces the settler lines that have built, been built because we're asking people to come into our lines and build our population and now become one. And the best way that we've decided to become one has come from a blending and mixing of culture, but more importantly, tolerance. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I want people to tolerate my presence, right? Like, I'm choosing to work and give so much of myself, whether it's through, I don't know, creativity, occupation, and you tolerate my existence. That's like, that's not okay. In Until We Are Free, um, I think it's really interesting that they talk about the relationship, um, but more the relationship building and community building that has been happening with Indigenous and Black community or activists and advocacy groups, right? And there's been an emphasis or an importance put on the fact that to fight against the settler colonial regime and agenda, there has to be collaboration. There has to be work together because more importantly, there needs to be a need to not rely on white society to save racialized and marginalized voices and bodies, right? Because the white bodies have been using it as a way to further the settler colonial narrative and story and image. And I say this because so often when we're talking about indigeneity, it's so um, removed from how it connects to other systems in this world. Or more importantly, we don't really, we talk about like black history, indigenous history, like if they're separate from history. I mean, even the black history, is it not history? Are, are not people being affected by this? Is it somehow that only black people or indigenous people are being affected by this moment of time in a vacuum? But more important, what other relations and like parties are involved? A lot. <laughs> We are on stolen land and labor has been used from stolen hands. <laughs> Sorry. I think another thing that's really interesting to point out is that the settler colonial agenda is so ingrained in our like life and style that even in the way that we talk about conversation or talk about certain things really speaks to our mindset. So when we're talking about dismantling these nation states or even like well, indigeneity and like nation, what it's really talking about is coming from a place of decolonialization, right? Not understanding these ideas and concepts in the way that we've seen them play out 
where land divides and killing and war and the force of a national story, right? Through violence and then wiping it clean so that people don't remember. Producing stories, producing knowledge on topics and ideas that are curated, something that fits a narrative that works for us, that makes us look good and, and sets us at this like higher ethical scale that all should look to. Multiculturalism almost sets this idea that we're in a post-racial society, right? Um, because we all live in harmony together. And I think it's really interesting that at the same time, this multiculturalism propaganda, can I say that, is being spread. We also have instances of Black bodies being harmed by the police, harmed by the state. And for Black people in the Black community, it is a constant reminder that we are not that far removed from the racist and um, slavery-led society that we were in. So I was also reading this other text called Governing in a Neoliberal Society. Um, neoliberalism really speaks to the idea that the state has now placed the responsibility of, well, you could say living the American dream, but living um, the American dream <laughs> into their citizens' hands, right? And so it's just the idea that like, if you want a happy life, you'd work for it. Make it happen. You have all the ability to do this because the world and society in which we live in is equal. Now, I'm kind of linking this back to multiculturalism. And so multiculturalism is the idea that we're tolerant of other societies. But if we're tolerant of other societies, that doesn't mean they're equal to us because we are tolerating their presence. We are, we are allowing them to be where we are, which sets us on a racial hierarchy or ethnic hierarchy or national hierarchy, whatever you wanna like base that off of, of what it means to be Canadian. And one thing we know about this multicultural society is that the British and the French have been placed as the top, right? Like I said earlier, what what is our national language? What is our national, what about schools, for instance, right? We have publicly funded public and Catholic schools that speaks to our values as a country. And if we're going to say that we're multicultural, wouldn't we have public funding for all religious schools and like don't get me wrong this is not the hill I'm dying on to say that like all religion needs to be in school I'm just saying that like you cannot claim this this ideal of multiculturalism when in, even in something as simple as like access to education there are certain ones that are more accessible there are certain ones that are promoted more there are certain ones that are required you're required to go to school but you're not required to go to a special school that um, is like specialized to your or targeted to your culture or your religion. You're not you're not required to do that. And in a multicultural society, everything would have equal access and access and availability. I mean, can we just take in that the French said, "We feel bad. Like take us seriously. Take us seriously." And so in 1963, the liberal Pearson government established the Royal Commission on Bilingualism and Biculturalism. They said, ooh, boo is us. And from there, it became a bilingual country. Bi, guys, meaning two. <laughs> Some of y'all know about that. <laughs> and so in a country that already sets that there are two expectations in which you need to know, how would it ever be multi?
it's so funny to be in a world where like we claim to be so like multicultural when this is like a perfect example. I am currently in Ottawa for school and I have a hard time finding hair supply stores. And so recently, a couple weeks ago, I found this new one because it just opened up and I was like so super excited and like telling all my friends about it. And like I'd been talking to like the owner when I had gone in because I was so hyped. I was so excited. And like just talking about that in previous years, because I had such a hard time finding black hair stores, not hair stores, black hair stores that catered to me specifically in this multicultural society, I would, when I was at back home in the GTA, I would just buy up so much. I would spend over $100 worth of like hair products and the girlies know, the girlies know, I spent $100, over $100 in hair products just to bring it back to make sure for like the next couple of weeks slash months before I was able to go back home and like recoup and like get more supplies. I was like, I need to do my hair still. Because in this multicultural society, <laughs> it is expected that my hair is maintained to a standard that is acceptable for work and school and such, right? No messy buns for me, okay? No, no bad head. <laughs> That's not acceptable. Um, and so it's like this multicultural society that is deeming that is tolerant of my existence, I am still doing extra work to be tolerated, to be accepted. Um... And I think it's interesting, right? We're a post-racial society and I can't find a hair store. We're in a post-racial society and I'm struggling to find um, like Caribbean food. Now, I'm saying those things to say that it is easy for me to find a Walmart. It is easy for me to find a Sally's. But for me to find the things that cater to my culture, my identity, and my personhood specifically, I have to work extra hard about. I have to be in the Facebook group chats to hear about the new openings. I have to communicate with my friends and ask. But if you want a burger, I could find you 10 spots. Just know. And so when we sit here and we talk about multiculturalism, multiculturalism would mean that I have access to what I need to be my best person easily. I'm not paying extra money, for instance, right? Like when I did find a few that was here, it was like, I'm paying so much extra, but the inventory that I need and want isn't there. And yes, people would say, well, Zoya, go online. But I'm in a multicultural society. And so I'm supposed to have equal access to everything like any other culture in this society. But really what you've done is created a, a society that's supposed to be tolerant. And even then, you're we're not. We're not tolerant. We're not tolerant, otherwise we wouldn't need things like Black Lives Matter. We're not tolerant because we have the prime minister taking a knee in the summer amongst protesters against police brutality. Also, I'd like to point out, you are in a position of power, and so you're taking a knee against power, but you are power. Change the legislation, defund the police. I think it's also interesting in this multicultural society that we have overrepresentation of marginalized, specifically Black and Indigenous bodies in policing. And so policing has showed us to exactly whose bodies hold value to this society. The need to even have a movement like Black Lives Matter and the fact that it points out a specific race really shows you that this multicultural society couldn't be there. And even for the fact that one, and it's not one, we, like, we actually know it's not one, but even the fact that having one racialized group 
show or talk about their unequal treatment, the discrimination they face, that already shows you that the tolerant society that you claim to have set, a society in which everybody has equal access to all services and all things and no one's above the law, you already have a movement that targets and talks about specifically specific people not receiving that. And in one of the readings I was reading, I think that's interesting that they pointed out, they were talking about Idle No More, right? And and they were expressing this concern around allyship and really the losing the support of white allies. But with decolonization being the goal, there would be no need to really center white voices in this talk, mostly because of settler colonialism. And so to finish, I'd kind of just like to circle back and say that this idea of multiculturalism really is there to reinforce the settler colonial story that is Canada, to try to erase the displacement and erasure of indigenous um, indigeneity on the land. But more importantly, what it what it does is invalidate the voices of Black people and their experiences. Because when you have these legislations and policies that speak to equality but don't actually move past the conversation point, then all you've done is invalidate the experiences when people, when Black people are telling you what it's like to live as a Black person and say, right, but this is the experience. This is what it means for me to live here. This is what it means for me to be Black in Canada. This is what it means for my identity to take place here. And it is completely disregarded. Multiculturalism works to take race out of the conversation because it sets it in this context in which everyone is equal and treated the same. And if they're not, well, that was this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll tune in for next time. Bye.